Preface to The Hunting of the Snark From Rhyme and Reason by Lewis Carroll This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Michael Maggs The Hunting of the Snark An Agony in Eight Fits Preface If, and the thing is wildly possible, the charge of writing nonsense were ever brought against the author of this brief but instructive poem, it would be based, I feel convinced, on the line, in page 144, then the bowsprit got mixed with the rudder sometimes. In view of this painful possibility, I will not, as I might, appeal indignantly to my other writings, as a proof that I am incapable of such a deed. I will not, as I might, point to the strong moral purpose of this poem itself, to the arithmetical principle so cautiously inculcated in it, or to its noble teachings in natural history, I will take the more prosaic course of simply explaining how it happened. The bellman, who was almost morbidly sensitive about appearances, used to have the bowsprit unshipped once or twice a week to be re-varnished. And it more than once happened, when the time came for replacing it, that no one on board could remember which end of the ship it belonged to. They knew it was not of the slightest use to appeal to the bellman about it. He would only refer to his naval code and read out in pathetic tones admiralty instructions, which none of them had ever been able to understand so it generally ended in its being fastened on anyhow across the rudder. The helmsman, footnote one, this office was usually undertaken by the boots, who found in it a refuge from the baker's constant complaints about the insufficient blacking of his three pairs of boots, used to stand by with tears in his eyes. He knew it was all wrong, but alas, rule 42 of the code, no one shall speak to the man at the helm, had been completed by the bellman himself with the words, and the man at the helm shall speak to no one. So remonstrance was impossible, and no steering could be done till the next varnishing day. During these bewildering intervals the ship usually sailed backwards. As this poem is to some extent connected with the lay of the Jabberwock, let me take this opportunity of answering a question that has often been asked me, how to pronounce slithy toves. The I in slithy is long, as in rise, and toves is pronounced so as to rhyme with groves. Again, the first O in borrow goves is pronounced like the O in borrow. I have heard people try to give it the sound of the O in worry. Such is human perversity. This also seems a fitting occasion to notice the other hard words in that poem. Humpty Dumpty's theory of two meanings packed into one word like a portmanteau seems to be the right explanation for all. For instance, take the two words fuming and furious. Make up your mind that you will say both words 
but leave it unsettled which you will say first. Now open your mouth and speak. If your thoughts inclined ever so little towards fuming, you will say, fuming furious. If they turn even by a hair's breadth towards furious, you will say, furious fuming. But if you have that rarest of gifts, a perfectly balanced mind, you will say, frumious. Supposing that when Pistol uttered the well-known words, under which king, Bezonian, speak or die, Justice Shallow had felt certain it was either William or Richard, but had not been able to settle which, so that he could not possibly say either name before the other. Can it be doubted that, rather than die, he would have gasped out, Rilchium! End of Preface to the Hunting of the Snark